Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Today we're going to speak about, you know, what happens when life leaves us in the dark. Now, the message is not titled The Five Stages of Load Shedding, although that would definitely be a nation-building message. But nobody likes being in the dark. I mean, many of us think that when we're kids, kids are scared of the dark, but I don't think that we ever lose that fear. How do I know that? Look at Twitter when load shedding's happening. People get upset. People get angry. But even beyond that, not just when it comes to the darkness in terms of what we're facing uh, practically, but also on a spiritual level. When it gets dark, it gets scary. We can sometimes think that this is it. There's no hope. I don't know how to go past these moments in our lives. You know, it's like, for me growing up, I, I was scared of the dark, like many kids were. Anybody, I'm not say anybody scared of the dark. Anybody have kids who are scared of the dark? Anybody still scared of the dark? This is a safe space. <laughs> see, I'm willing to bet the rest of you who didn't put your hands up are lying. Here's how I know. You see, I grew up in a generation that did geography my whole life, but actually don't know how to read a map. So I use Waze, Google Maps, Apple Maps. And now if I get lost and I put it in the, in the maps, and 90% of the time it's good, but sometimes it just doesn't work. Now if, I get, if that happens during the day, I'm angry and I'm frustrated at the app. If it happens at night, I'm a little less angry and a little bit more concerned. I'm a little bit more scared. I'm a little bit more fearful for my life. It takes me back to when I was a child and it was dark. And... and Growing up in South Africa when it was dark and I heard a noise outside, like someone's outside, what am I going to do? Now there's fights and there's flights. I'm neither of those. <laughs> what I would do is what I learned on the Discovery Channel. So if I heard a noise and I thought someone was outside, I'm going to play dead. <laughs> you laugh, I'm still standing. But you see, when we are in the dark, we don't know what's out there, and it can cause us to be tense. It can cause anxiety to increase. And when life takes us to these dark places and these dark moments while we're trusting God, whilst we're obeying God, we need to know that God's not done. It's not the end, and we can keep trusting God because He is the light of the world. And today we're going to take a look at a scripture. It's found in John 20. Um, It's just after the cross, so Jesus dies on the cross. We believe that God sent Jesus. Then Jesus gave his life, and then the Holy Spirit raised him. The cross and the resurrection is the work of the Trinity. But when, after God gave um, Jesus, Jesus rises again. Now, us living in 2022, many of us know that. Even if we're not new to church, uh, we know that on some level. Can you imagine what it was like living it at the time, being one of the disciples that followed Jesus? And that's where we're going to pick it up, and the Scripture's going to come up on the screen. I'm going to read it with you. It comes from John 20, verses one to four, and it says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. She was one of the women that followed Jesus. Uh, She was an avid follower of Jesus. She funded his ministry. She's mentioned many times in the Bible, and her surname is not Magdalene. It's where she came from. And it says, says, while it was still dark, everyone say, while it was still dark. And she saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She goes on to say, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus 
loved. Now, if you don't know who that disciple is, that's the disciple named John. We are reading the gospel of John. John was a very humble man. <laughs> and he goes on to say, and he said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were both going towards the tomb. Both of them were running. The other disciple outran Peter. John could have chosen to try anything, how Peter walked on water, nope. How, how, how Peter identified Jesus as the risen Lord and Savior, nope. I'm just going to write how I beat you to the tomb. And it goes on to say, and the other disciple outran Peter, and Peter reached the tomb first. What happens in the tomb is they see the, the evidence. The Bible actually says at that point, Peter steps into the tomb whilst John stays outside the tomb because he's in awe. They have it in a discussion with the angels, and the Bible says they believed that Jesus had risen again. Or rather, they, it just says they believed. Whether he'd risen again or his body had been taken, we don't know what they believed, just that they believed. And we're going to jump to verse 10. It says, Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as, she was, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Now, unless you are an angel from the Lord, if you see a lady crying, never start the sentence with the word woman. It will not end well for you. She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. It's verse 14 says, they, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, again, unless you are, our, unless you are Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who died and rose again, do not start the sentence with woman. I can guarantee you one thing, there would not be an empty tomb if it wasn't Jesus saying this. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Jesus knows who she's looking for. I'm pretty sure he said this with a smile on his face. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus says to her, Mary. She turned to him in Aramaic and saying, Rabboni, which means teacher. The title of your message is simply this, While it's still dark. We're going to take a look at what we do while it's still dark, knowing that it's not over, God's not done it. We've got to trust him for our breakthrough. We've got to trust him that the story doesn't end at the empty tomb, but it ends with Jesus standing next to us as our risen Lord, stepping into, plan, into, into the plans, the purpose, and the future that he has for us. So you ready for the first point? First point is this, don't lose sight of him. It's so interesting that when Mary gets to this point, she loses sight of Jesus. Jesus is standing in front of her and she doesn't realize that it's Jesus. But you know what? It's so easy for us to do that. When, we're, when our lives are plunged into darkness, when there's moments in our life that are uh, confusing, do you know what can end up happening? We lose sight of Jesus. And when we lose sight of Jesus, what we begin to do is we look at the circumstance and we make its decisions and assumptions. Don't you find it interesting that Mary got to the tomb, saw the tomb rolled over, and then ran and said they've taken his body away. She jumped to a conclusion. And many of us would have probably done the same thing if we were put in the same circumstance. 
Because when we are in darkness, we are afraid. And when we're afraid, we respond and act differently. You know, the other thing that we need to remember is that no one's actually scared of the dark, by the way. People are scared of what might be in the dark. And when there's darkness in our lives, we begin to make assumptions of what may be there, the obstacles that might be there, and, we've, we, and we, we get scared, but we forget who's standing right there with us in the dark, saying that it would never be too dark because he's standing alongside us, he's walking with us, and he's got a plan for our lives. And when we, get, when we lose sight of that in, in, in the dark, we also lose sight of the authority of God. What did Mary do? It says that, you know, uh, he must be the gardener. You would remember the context of the story. If you're a Christian, you'll know that after Jesus dies and rises again, he makes this statement before the Great Commission. The last spoken word that Jesus ever said starts like this. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. The God who had all the authority of heaven and earth was standing in front of Mary, but because of the darkness, she couldn't realize who was standing right in front of her. I wonder how often the, uh, the God who has all the authority in the universe is standing in front of us, but we treat his opinion as option, or rather we treat the truth as an opinion or option. We look at him and say, maybe God's got a plan, but we forget that he has the final authority, that he has the final say, like we sung tonight, there is no other name. And when we remember the authority of the one we serve, we can step into everything that he has for us. So when it gets dark, you know what one of the best things to do is? We need a pause. You see, anybody ever been asleep and then you wake up at night and it's dark? Nobody just wakes up and gets out of the bed. Unless you had all your carrots as a kid. What you do is you wake up and you pause. Why? Because your eyes need to adjust to the darkness. Because even when it's dark, there's still some light. And then what we need to do is once our eyes adjust, we can then step out of our bed. We can take that step out. But it works the same way in our lives. When there's darkness in our lives, what we need to do is we need to pause and we need to step out. So often when, we, when you wake up at night, you pause, and then if you're not looking, you can think, is that a demon? No, it's just the curtain. <laughs> or for my poor wife, is that a demon? No, just Chris snoring. <laughs> but when we pause, when we gather our thoughts, then we can step out and say, you know what? Uh, I know that it might seem dark, but I need to ask myself, where is God in this? Because he's always, always, always in it. And he hasn't left me. To, to fall away. He hasn't left me to fade away. He hasn't just left me out here, but he has a plan for my life. We also shouldn't panic and get flustered. It's like losing your keys. Anybody ever lost your keys? It's never when you're early or lost your phone. I'll never forget the one time I, I was going to meet a friend for coffee and, I, and he called me. I said, okay, okay, cool. I'm coming now, dude. I just can't find my phone. He did the same thing that you did. And I said, that. he goes, well, have you checked? Well, where was the last place you left it? Now, if I knew the last place that I left it, please don't ever ask somebody that question and say, I can't find this. Where's the last place that you had them? If I knew that, I wouldn't be looking for it in the first place. And he said, well, go check the bathroom, go check the kitchen. Why don't you go check downstairs in the car? I live in an apartment, so it's like a lift. And I go down, and then I have to go back up. I don't know why I went back up. And he said, what are you talking about? My f 
phone. <laughs> yeah, when Dr. Robbie was here, he said, if you ever lose your keys, what you should do is stop looking and pause. Because when you pause, you can say, okay, I'm not going to let the stress hormones and everything that's happening freak me out. Because when I pause, I can begin to retrace my steps. And when I retrace my steps, I'll know exactly where to find what I'm looking for. We need to pause and breathe because that is what we need. Sorry, we need to pause and breathe there. And that's what we need to do when we face darkness and uncertainty and struggles in our life and our friendships and our marriages and our businesses. We need to pause and say, God, somewhere here. And I'm going to keep looking. I'm going to retrace my steps. I'm going to go back to the last place that I knew where he was. And I'm going to strengthen myself in God. Now, you see, if you've been, I've been to church for a long time, and I remember the first time I came, Christian people said some stuff that was weird. Like, I'm just going through a season. Yeah, it's winter. Everyone's going through the same season. I don't understand what you mean. But as you grow, you realize it's actually talking about a season spiritually or emotionally or financially. Uh, another thing that, that Christians say is like, um, we need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Like, cool. Do I have to like listen to worship music while I'm gymming? Like, what does that mean? Like, strengthen yourself in, is there like a, is there like a boot camp that I go to? Do I have to? Well, that saying actually comes from the Bible, and the context is quite an amazing one. King David, who many of us know when he uh, killed Goliath, even if you're not a Christian, you'll know that story. It's where we get the term a David and Goliath battle. Goliath was the giant. David was the kid. He took the sling, hits Goliath, and he dies. We might think that David was always winning his battles, but there's a couple battles in his life that he didn't win. And there's one that he actually looked like he was losing. He was on the run from King Saul, who was the king at the time, and uh, he, he was at a place called Ziklag. And at this place, he was fighting, and they'd sent him back. And when he gets back to his camp, what he finds is his whole camp has been, has been ripped to shreds. His family's been taken, the cattle's been taken, the gold's been taken, the, the weapons have been taken. And David and his men are in anguish. The Bible says that the men wept bitterly. In fact, the men wept bitterly, and then they begin to get angry. And in 1 Samuel 30, it says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. You see, you talk about darkness, talk about no hope, talk, talk about this must be over, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his son, sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. We don't have time to go into that story, but how that story ends is after David strengthens himself, he's obedient to God, he goes and he fights the enemy. Not only does he get everything back, but he also gets more than, than he had back because God is the God who always restores and never just leaves us where we're at, but it starts with strengthening ourselves. And three quick ways we can strengthen ourselves. The first is in worship. Because when we worship, we get closer to God. That's why it's so important to be at church early. And, and, and remember when I was young, I always think, yeah, praise is for the young people. Uh, I'm sound like an old person. <laughs> but praise is for the younger people. Praise is, you know, I'm a mature Christian. Worship is where it's at. Well, actually, when you read the Bible, praise and worship are both vitally important. Because praise says that I'm going to praise God despite the circumstances and despite what it looks like. So that's why we need to be here when we praise. But also when we worship, because when, when we worship, we get closer to God. You know, in the Bible, worship, Kaisen touched on it in the Old Testament. You know that worship always leads to sacrifice in the Old Testament? When we see the word worship, they didn't just sing, but they actually sacrificed. Sometimes we need to sacrifice to God, not just financially, but sacrifice because worship is our work. Yeah. 
Worship is our business. Worship is our family, is our relationships and our marriage. And sometimes what we need to do is bring it to God on the altar and say, I'm trusting you, God, for your breakthrough. I'm trusting you and I'm gonna strengthen myself in you. The next way that we can strengthen ourselves, so the first way is worship. The second is prayer. You see, English is a very simple language. We have one word for pray. Pray. But if you look at the Old Testament, did you know there's several different words for prayer? And it's so important to understand this because so often as Christians, we can have a one-dimensional prayer life. But in order to be strengthened by God or strengthen ourselves in God, we need to have a healthy understanding of prayer. One of the words for prayer in the Bible is request or petitions. It's where we ask God for our needs to be met. Jesus put it this way, ask, seek, and knock. We ask with our mind, we seek with our eyes, but we actually do something after we pray because faith without action is dead. The other word for prayer in the Bible is intercession. It's asking on behalf of others. You see, when we do that, we take the focus on ourselves. It'd be like praying for a Liverpool supporter at this moment. (laughs) Another word for prayer is thanksgiving. It's when we give thanks to God for what he's done in our life. It's to say, God, I know I don't deserve your grace. I can never earn your grace, but thank you for the foundation I have. Thank you that without Jesus, my life would be nothing. Thank you that if I had nothing else but you, I'd still be okay because you are all I need. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my church. That's what thanksgiving looks like because when we give thanks for what God's done, we strengthen ourselves and we focus on him. And prayer is communicating with God. It's speaking to God. It's building a relationship with God. And it's reminding ourselves who we're asking from. And when we inquire from God and we don't just give God a list of what's happening in life, we say, God, what do you think I should do? God, you know the darkness in my business. You know the darkness in my marriage. You know the darkness that I'm facing. What is it that you say that I should do? Because you have supreme authority. Timothy Keller puts it this way, to fail to pray then is not merely to break some religious rule. It is a failure to treat God as God. You see, we need to pray more. The last way we strengthen ourselves is on the word, but we need to pray to get to the word. And when we pray and we have the word when we worship, our firm foundation is Christ. And we can see that even if we don't have it, even if it doesn't make sense, the word says that God is my strength. The word says that those who apply God's word, they have a firm foundation. And you know what the thing is? When it's dark, we may not be able to see, but we can hear. And never forget that 2 Corinthians 5 says, for we live by faith and not by sight. So when it's dark, what we need to do is get God's word in our lives so that we are strengthened and we are closer to him. We can sometimes focus on the circumstances and what's happening around us, but instead we should get close to God. I heard the story once on, on Instagram, um, just being honest, and uh, it goes this kid, but this old, um, I don't have any kids, so that old, he goes to his dad and he says, Dad, how big is God? So this is a big moment, like... It's like, I'm going to be, a, the dad's going to be like a theologian, a priest. This is foundational truth. And the dad looks up to heaven probably to look for an answer. And he sees a plane in the sky. So he goes to his son, how big do you think that plane is? So the kid goes. So the father says, don't forget that. Remember that. Jump in the car. 
is to go to the car, they put the car seats on. No, the seat belts on. They put the kid in the car seat. They didn't put the car seat on the kid. So ready to be a parent. And then what they do is they start driving. About 30 minutes later, they get to the airport, and they go to the international departures. And at the international departures, they have something called the viewing deck. Anybody remember it? So the kid goes, so the dad goes to the kid, how big did you say God was? He said, that big. So he said, go look at the plane. Sorry, how big did you say? the? God brings wives in your lives to correct you. Thank you for correcting me and helping me be better. God, so he says, how big is the plane? The kid goes, that big. Then he takes him to the viewing deck and he shows him a 747, which is massive. The kid's eyes are, the kid is fabergasted. And the father says this, never forget this. The closer you get to God, the bigger he'll be in your life. And if we want to not lose sight of God, we've got to strengthen ourselves. We've got to get close to him. But we've got to get as close to God as possible so that he will be big in our life. You ready for point number two? You're still good. You're still with me. Point number two is this. People may fail. Oof. Just look straight ahead. But this is one of the truths in life is that people fail us. I could have quite easily said, people will fail. Because if you've been a human for long enough, you'll know that by nature, people are flawed. And I'm, at, the, at the outset of this point, I'm not saying that we swear of people. Go live in a cave or just isolate yourself. That would be wrong. It's also unbiblical. Don't forget that God's first thing that he said was wrong was for man to be alone. God himself said, it's not good for man to be alone. Therefore, we need people in our life, God will use people in our lives and he brings people towards us. In fact, there's a quote that I have from a lady um, by the name of Rebecca McLaughlin and she says this, the further I go on in life, the more I'm convinced, uh, the more convinced I am that every Christian is a struggling Christian. Anyone say amen to that? <laughs> Dependent on help from brothers and sisters who know their, their needs and vulnerabilities. Lungs don't work without, without hearts and legs, legs without feet. We're simply not designed for solo flight. You see, what we need to understand in our lives is we obviously need people, but people are not perfect. Only God is. And we need to be prepared that people can let us down. I think Mary went to the disciples to tell them that what was happening, but also because she needed support. She just found out that Jesus was missing. She thought this was it. I've been following this man for three years. I thought he was the Lord and Savior, and now I can't find him. So he, she goes to Peter and John. And what does the Bible say they do? They race. They get to the tomb, and they leave her. And the Bible says that Mary was left weeping outside the tomb. I wonder how many of us, when we were going through things, we went to people, and we said, I need your help with this. And they left us weeping in our darkest moments. And if we have the wrong people in our life, you know we have those people you, you expect not to be there. If you don't have those people. Sonke got that one. But notice who she went to. 
She didn't go to the wrong people, Mary. She went to the two people closest to Jesus, Peter, James, and John, the three people closest to Jesus as he ministered. She went to the right people. She went to leadership. So what do we do when leaders let us down? When our spouse lets us down, when Christians let us down, when other people let us down, when our friends and our family let us down, what happens when the right people let us down? The first thing you've got to remember is that we need to extend grace. And it's not an excuse, but it's part of our Christian responsibility to extend grace and to pray for them because people are going through their own stuff. John had to go to explain to everybody who was saying, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. Now Jesus might be alive again. What am I going to say? Peter, the last thing he said to Jesus was, I do not know him. That was the last thing that Jesus heard Peter say. They were dealing with their own stuff at that moment. Now it doesn't make it okay. But it does give us a window into the expectation from God for us. Because what we need to do is say, you know what? People won't always be there but my God will never fail. That's why in Psalm 118 it says, it is better to put trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Because when we put our trust in God, he will never fail us, even when it doesn't feel like it. We need to prioritize going to God, not to people. I'm not saying we don't need people, but we need to go to God first. Sometimes we go to God and tell him what people say. Instead, go to people and say, this is what God says. This is what his word says, because I serve the God that always comes through for me. God should always be our first call and not our last resort. Sometimes we can get frustrated at people, and they don't even know it. You see, I've been a Christian for a while, and the one thing I've come to learn about God is he always comes through, and his timing is always perfect. The problem is when you're trusting for the same thing as someone else, or you're trusting God for something. It's called Christian jealousy, <laughs> where you're trusting God for something and somebody else gets their blessing. You're trusting for your health challenge. Maybe you can't fall pregnant and you're trusting God and your friends, they keep getting pregnant and you're standing there confused. Maybe you're trusting God for a business, for a job and it's been years. Maybe you've just been trusting God for someone special because you're still single. And then somebody comes to you and they're like, hey man, you never get, I just met someone. Where? At church. <laughs> you don't even serve. I was serving this. You don't even come to church. What do you mean you met someone at church? I was just in the coffee shop line. You were on Tinder last night. Now you met someone in church. And isn't God so good? Oh, God is something. I can tell you that. <laughs> but we shouldn't let those things take away from the God that we serve. But instead, no, the God's not playing catch up. Because if he can do it for them, he can do it for me. He can do it for you. He can do it for me. And it should build our faith because we should trust him more. Your third point is simply this. We need to recognize his voice. Mary didn't recognize Jesus' voice. She didn't even recognize Jesus standing in front of him. But so often in our lives when there's hurt, when there's pain, when there's darkness, we can't recognize God's voice either. Isn't it so interesting that when God doesn't come through for us, our natural instinct is to turn away from God, to close the Bible, 
But God's like, I'm speaking to you. Just open up the Bible. Turn to me. When Mary turned to Jesus, that's when she realized he was there. We need to turn to God, open up his word, and we need to learn to relate to God and recognize God through relationship. Because when we build a relationship, when we understand God's word, and we stop ignoring the word, but instead getting into God's word, then we know that he is speaking because God's always speaking. We're just not always listening. A listening Christian is one whose Bible is open. And the more we read God's word, the easier it is to recognize God's voice. And when we learn to recognize God's voice, we don't just get to recognize that God's speaking, but we also get to recognize the power of God's voice. You see, the, God's introduction is important when God introduces himself to the world. It's found in Genesis 1. God could have done anything. He could have introduced himself as the God who requires you to be at church every Sunday. But he doesn't. Genesis 1 starts with, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how he does that is pretty interesting. We're going to read it in Genesis 1, verses 3 to 5. It says this, God said, let there be light. And there was And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. God's introduction to the world is this. God said, and so it was. And when we understand that that's the God that we serve, that the God who can speak and the universe is created, the God that out of nothing, everything can happen. When we begin to open God's word and and it says, God said he is our provider, there will be provision. When God says he is our healer, there will be healing. When God says he'll make a way, I don't know how, but he'll make a way. When, When our lives are in darkness, God says let there be light. There will always be light because God is the light of the world. An interesting thing in Scripture is you know that that light is not the sun. You're a couple of days too early. The Bible in 1 John says that uh, that light is, God, is the light of God because God is light. So God's introduction is this, is that I don't need anything external to change time. I don't need anything external to create something. I don't need anything external because I am the light of the world and I'm all you will ever need. Don't forget to recognize the authority and the power in the voice of Jesus. As we move on, the order is important. This is probably one of the, if you can understand this truth, it'll, it'll change the way that you view every day. When scripture's written, it's God's word. And if God's gonna write scripture, everything is important. Important. When a word is repeated, it's not by accident. You know, sometimes it says holy, holy, holy. Actually, that's just one holy. The reason it's repeated in the Hebrew is to draw attention to the fact that it says holy. Also, the order is important. When I picture Genesis, I read it in my head as God created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be light. There was light. It was epic. And it was morning, and it was evening, and then God went to bed, and then he started on day two. Right? 
What does Genesis 1 verse 5 say? Let's read it together. It says, then, call, then God, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Did you know that every new day starts in darkness? The other thing that God introduces us to in this fact is that we serve the God who specializes in turning night into day, darkness into light. And he doesn't need any external factors, but instead... But instead, what we need to trust is that even if it seems like it's nighttime now, know that joy comes in the morning because that is the God that we serve, the God who is the way maker, the God who is the miracle worker, the God who can change everything because it didn't start in the light. It's crazy to think that the universe started in darkness and it became light. I think we sometimes think that the universe started in light and it became dark. No, 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 no. God stepped in. And it's a picture of our lives, isn't it? That our lives are in darkness. But then when we look for the light of the world to step in, he begins to shine his light in our lives. And if we feel like we're in dark moments now, know that God's not done. It's not over. Because God is saying, let there be light. As we come to a close, your fourth point is this. He knows your name. You see, this is an interesting scripture. Mary sees Jesus, if you're going to recap, doesn't realize it's Jesus, thinks he's the gardener, hasn't. Mary has a conversation with angels. Can we just? Doesn't get her attention. Jesus is standing right in front of her. It doesn't get her attention. Until verse 16 of that verse where Jesus says to her, Mary, and the Bible says she turned and looked at him, and she said, teacher. She you know what got her attention? Was the fact that the Savior knew her name. And right now, no matter how dark it is in your life, know that God knows your name. And he's calling out to you saying, hey, Chris, because that's my name. Come to me. I'm standing right here. Here's the thing, and I don't know if this is theologically true, but I'd like to believe this is Jesus was in the garden while everything was happening. As the Bible says, Mary was in the tomb. She turned out and Jesus was standing outside. He's always been there. But she was looking at the circumstance. She was looking at the, at the empty tomb. And instead of getting faith from it, she saw fear in it. But what we need to understand that Christ has always, always been there. And he's always, 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 always been calling our name. What we need to do is we need to be willing to take a stand and say, I'm going to step towards God. I'm going to step in towards his direction. I'm going to begin to strengthen myself. I'm going to begin to pray. I'm going to begin to worship God. You know, the thing about church is we don't just say stuff and then leave. We actually have a moment where we can apply that principle. If you want to strengthen yourself, worship God. If you want to strengthen yourself, come down for prayer at the end of this service. If you want to strengthen yourself in God, get into his word. But it all starts with recognizing the simple truth. He's calling you. Maybe today you're here and you didn't realize that he's been there the whole time. Your life is in darkness and he's calling you out. He's saying, come to me. Maybe you used to walk with God 
and your life got progressively darker and darker and darker until you found yourself here. You were away from God, you used to follow him, but you're coming back to him today. He's calling you too. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.